Hi guys, it's Shanna Montana here, and I did want to give you guys a content and trigger warning over the next three episodes of the podcast. We will be speaking about Black maternal health in America, and we know that for some people, that can be a traumatic event, a stressful event, and just an event that you are not comfortable hearing or talking about. So I wanted to just let you guys know ahead of time that for the next three episodes, this will be the material that we are diving into. So if you can get something from it, great, but if you are not able to listen to it, just skip these next three episodes and we'll catch you after that. So without further ado, we now head into our intro of the To Be Single or Not To Be podcast. You are listening to the podcast To Be Single or Not To Be by Shanna Montana, a podcast where we talk about the single life, dating, and relationships So you can make a decision at the end of each episode and decide to be single or not to be. That is the final question. So today's topic is Black maternal health in America. And I wanted to speak to this subject because as a woman of color, the injustices, the inequalities, and the lack of resources that I am newly being informed of can be very disheartening. So I feel like it's my duty to have conversations around this topic so we can change the state of this narrative and so that we can educate our people on how they can help themselves overcome the obstacles that we will talk about today and then pass this information to others and in return, begin to break barriers and cycles that we are facing in 2022 that we wanna put a stop to immediately. And I also want the listeners to understand that while we are going to speak about maternal health today, this conversation connects directly to relationships because the relationship one has with their child is one of the most powerful and impactful relationships one can have with another person. And whether you have a child or not, you have a relationship with other women who have children. And in this community, we are advocates for them all. So before we get into the meat of this topic, I wanted to introduce our three, our three amazing guests, and I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves. So we're going to start with Erica. Tell the people who you are. I am Erica Harvey in Atlanta, Georgia. By day, I am an OBGYN resident, and by night, I do my dual thing. Um, I also run a nonprofit. I also have a podcast. I got my hand in a lot of pots right now. Um, but that's just me. I just try to keep it cool and simple and, and chill. I love it. I love it. A resident by day and a doula about you do it at night. You said your night thing. So I love it. The balance. Yes. You yes. gotta do it that way. So glad to have you on the show. Um, up next, Callie, tell the people who you are. Hi, I'm Callie Hughes. I am a wife, a mom of two under two, a nurse by training, a doula by passion, a childbirth educator, breastfeeding coaching educator, and I also do pre and postnatal fitness um, training. I love that pre and postnatal fitness. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. What exactly does that cover? What is that? So, well, it's funny because I actually got into this. I'm, you know, avid workout Um I go to the gym a lot. Um, But when I was pregnant, I, you know, the the cultural norm norm for us is to kind of stop working out, kind of stop moving, just sit around and do nothing when you're pregnant. Um, It just didn't feel right for me um, because I like working out so much. So I started looking up ways that I could um, work out more. And I found a pre and postnatal fitness is like this huge scene where, um, not us, but others are working out throughout their pregnancy and they are, you know, they're having healthy pregnancies and they're not having any of the pain and the, you know, the things that come along that we think are normal in pregnancy, they're not having that. So I train, you know, when you're working out pregnant, there are certain things you can and can't do. So I have the knowledge to kind of help you go through that process. uh, So you're not doing anything that will harm yourself for your baby. I love that. And I'm definitely going to have us go into that a little bit more later on in the episode because you all, yeah, that's the notion, you know, people think like, oh, one of my nieces, we were joking because I'm such a planner and, you know, you can't really always plan exactly when you have a kid. So I'm like, I would love to just have a Sagittarius baby because no, I said a Capricorn because I get along with Capricorns pretty good. (laughs) And so my niece, um, I have a great nephew that's about to turn two. And she was like, yeah, you know, you should be pregnant during the holidays. You can eat, you can sit around, you don't got to do nothing. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm like, (laughs) 
no, it's a terrible idea. So <laughs> we'll actually make sure we touch on that. But it's funny, we do get the notion. I'm praying, I could just sit around, I could eat, I could do what I want to do, I don't have to work out. Right. Yeah, like, don't reach too high, don't touch anything, don't move, put your feet up and just sit there. <laughs> Literally, I have a, a line sister who is uh, um, she is an OBGYN, and I was like, well, you know. Me, really, I haven't had a child. So some things I ask may sound ignorant to some people, but I always ask her. And I'm like, I'm being serious when I ask you this. I said, so when people come and tell you, they find out they're pregnant. I'm like, what's the first thing like you tell them to go and do? She's like, I tell them to go and continue living their life. She's like, I tell them that it does not mean because you are pregnant, you now sit down and don't do anything. Cause you know, I'm like, well, do, can they still drive? Can, she's like, Shana. Yes. <laughs> like you see pregnant women driving. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> They're like the best designated drivers. They, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so funny. She's like, Shana, you, yes, you, your life can just continues. Once you get pregnant, it doesn't mean that everything stops. But, you know, I think it's just a lot of ideas we have in our head that once you have a baby, that everything shuts down. And it's not supposed to be that way. So I'm so glad to have this conversation today for that reason as well. So we can educate those people that are, you know, I would say in the, even a 30 plus club, because I do have friends. I've had friends that have had children that are uh, 35 plus, And I had some who've had really great experiences and some who've had difficulties, but I know people that are my age that still are interested in having kids. So I think it's really good to have these kinds of conversations, especially for myself. I'm going to learn so much today um, just to be educated and kind of remove that fear because that's one of my biggest things is in reality and I'm I, in my life I'm trying to move away from that space of being fearful about anything because I think that fear attaches to things and it, and it brings different results and I think that anything we do in life you do it from a place of love or fear and I, if having a child you definitely want to do that from a place place of love and not fear because I used to always say like I'm so scared of being pregnant like having a baby and everybody that I know has had one would just be like well you know once you get pregnant you kind of just go with the flow. Like, you know, like you, you kind of accept it. Like I'm pregnant, I'm going to have this child. And so they, many women that have had mothers have told me like, it can be scary in the beginning, but by the time you reach that nine month mark, you'll be all right. You'll be fine. You know, they kind of ready to be over. Yeah. They're like, once you get there, you know, it's like, all right, we got to do it. We're here. Let's do it. So uh, for <laughs> me, it's all about trying to remove that fear. And I want to be able to remove the fear from the listeners. So we are going to dive into the topic now. So I'm Shamika. Oh my God. Look, I'm so used to having Shamika on that I'm like, <laughs> I apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm so glad to have you back. Tell the people who you are. They know who you are, but I want you to tell them again. I apologize. <laughs> sorry, y'all. This this was a, a whole funny moment. It really was. Because I felt the same way. Like, I'm, I'm here so often. Do I really need to introduce Right. <laughs> but, but then also, I was like, hold on. I'm on here. Thank y'all, queens, because those intros were amazing. Yes. I get to flex a little, and I haven't flexed it all Please flex. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, if you follow me on IG, you already know this, but I don't think I've actually introduced myself on the podcast in this manner, but I am a public health professional in the maternal child health space. I am also a maternal mental health and all things birthing people advocate. Uh, I'm a full spectrum doula. And as you guys know, I'm a marriage and family therapist and I'm specializing in maternal and reproductive mental health. So excited to be on this episode because yes. I get to show like a different side of myself outside of the relationship portion. Yes, um, but it. also as we talked about, children are an extension of ourselves, mm-hmm. but also a lot of relationship questions go into building the family. Oh yeah, um, and to who we want to date because yeah. you know these apps now already can you can say <laughs> I want a baby, I don't want a baby. I have a friend literally going through the process to so, have yeah. a baby going through an app. It's an app for everything, and that blew my mind. So, yeah. Glad so to yeah, have you y'all, back. That's, those are the other hats that you may or may not know that I wear. <laughs> Glad to have you all. So ladies and whoever wants to go first can. I just want to start out by asking, what is the state of Black maternal health in America present day? Is it good, bad, or are we in a crisis? We're in a crisis. <laughs> We're in a crisis. We're in a crisis. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, we're in a crisis. Okay, tell us why. Like, what? What is what? It, what is entailed in, involved in that crisis? Oh, go ahead, Kelly. I think I hear you. No, I think it was Erica still talking. So, first and foremost, we have to address the the knowledge piece, the education piece. Um, we're living in a time now, and I can't say now, it's always been this way, but you know, it's on the rise and people are, you know, finding out that we don't really know what goes on in childbirth. Mm-hmm. We don't really know the anatomy 
of birth, what happens to our bodies, what we're doing, what we're feeling, what's happening. We don't understand it. So just going into to, to birth, to the birthing space, to the laboring space, not knowing, okay, I can control this. I can have complete agency and autonomy over my birthing situation, over my laboring situation. People are just now um, being introduced to birthing centers. Mm. Um, I guess I, I wouldn't say home birth is making a comeback, mm-hmm. but now in COVID times, it you know home births are on the rise. Mm-hmm. But I tell people all the time, listen, I've, I love home births. It's one of my favorite things, but this is not the time to invite the whole hood <laughs> to the house. So nonetheless, it's still just, you know, the education piece of understanding that even in the home birth setting, it looks totally different from the hospital setting, knowing it, you know, having a birth plan and a postpartum plan. And it's not this cute piece of paper to give to your provider, to give to your nurses. It's so you can know how to navigate these spaces to know you can say yes or no, yeah. to know that, you know, it because there's so many people who you know, feel like epidurals or Pitocin and everything else is just standard. Like this is what happens in birth. It's not, it's not, it doesn't always have to look like that. And this is wild that you say this because again, I tell the listeners, I don't have children, but I got a lot of nieces and nephews. I've seen a lot of babies born. And in my experience of being around women that have had children, I've heard the word about, the only reason I know about Pitocin, I was in a room with, it was probably about 15 women. And it was only two of us that didn't have kids. And literally everybody in the room was saying, yeah, you know, you can have a baby, they give you Pitocin to make the contractions come. It was like a normalized thing. All of them had had it. And it was like, so of course, I hear it. If I'm unknowledgeable, I go in, I'm thinking this is, I have to do this. Yeah. What a Pitocin. And you know, so it's just like different, everything that you said. And and now thinking about the context of like having a child, I didn't even, I didn't look at it that way that, you know, it's a lot of things going on in your body when you are giving birth. But in my experience, what I've seen people do is like, we find out they're pregnant. Nowadays, you had a gender reveal. You had a baby shower. Then they had a baby, and I don't, you, I don't hear nothing in between. Like one, I had even with my niece, I asked her because learning. I said, "You have a birthing plan?" She said, "What's that?" So you know that just goes to show that that the information is is is, is out there, but people are not tapping into it or understanding that it's important for them to know. So yeah, go ahead, Shamika. Well, to literally add on to that, I think the other thing about the the birthing crisis or the maternal um, mortality rates is the fact that it goes back way beyond us. Mm -hmm. Like even with our ancestors, the field of gynecology was created on the backs of black women who were unable to give consent for the research that was being done on their bodies. Mm. And then our bodies, we know um, throughout a few terms, epigenetics, which is literally like the genetic makeup that we have and the things that are passed down, such as trauma and healing Mm -hmm. from one generation to the other, but within the body. So we're talking about people who were having babies and then sent back to fields, people who were having babies and Ooh. maybe completely torn apart from that child. And then the emotional labor and the emotional abuse that goes into that. Yeah. And we're the ancestors of those people. So we carry that. Yeah. So when we talk about we're going to have children or we want to create families, we literally are intentionally saying, I want to create healing and I want to create love mm-hmm. because pregnancy has not always been attached to those emotions for us. Also with that, when we're, when we're looking at that, the maternal mortality rates for African-American women have always been higher than our counterparts. But a lot of individuals do not know that until they're in this birthing space. Mm. So it's like you're saying, so many people come into the birthing space, like, yes, I'm pregnant, I'm going to have a baby. And it's just a part of their life. It's not until this is the work you do that you're often given those numbers, given that data. And as Mm -hmm. a Black woman without a child in this space, it does kind of make birthing scary in some aspects Mm -hmm. because I go in knowing that knowledge of, at, like I have a higher risk, especially the older I get of not having a healthy outcome with either getting pregnant or even giving birth to a healthy baby. Right. So all of those things add to, I think like one having discussions such as these, but also, you know, to kind of break those barriers, like it's not to increase fear, it's increase education and knowledge so that we come into birthing spaces equipped to be able to advocate for ourselves and then advocate for the people in our families and those around us that we care for and let them know that they're not alone either. Like, you're not just going to walk in the room and be like, okay, so, you know, having a healthy baby, I see you, you know, whatever date. No, I need you to give me more information. Like, what test have we ran? Yeah. How do you know this? Did you ask about the history? 
um and even, all that stuff yeah and even being a doula especially in sitting on on those sides of the room I got to be my cousin's doula and the things that I learned about my own family from that birthing experience that I did not know ahead of time like even being professionals in this field there's still things that we don't know because families are complex humans are complex and sometimes it's not to your in the moment you find these things out so yes we're in a crisis I feel like there are solutions to the crisis it's just it's that awareness piece so many people are still becoming aware that we are even in a crisis or that birth while it may be a natural part of life can is in itself traumatic so even the mental health components that go into that mm-hmm. because your body's going through a huge and major change and these are things that we don't normalize and we have to talk about them because and i things keep coming back to me i'm just soaking everything up that you guys are saying because my uh recently i want to say no my niece didn't I know somebody who had to have a C-section and I remember my sister, this was via text. She was saying like, originally she was going to have a regular birth and then they went to C-section. And my sister said something like questioning, like, you know, why do you have to have a C-section? And I'm looking at the text and I'm just thinking like, cause the doctor said so. And she was, so she's like, no, she needs to find out what is happening, that she has to have a C-section, you know? But again, the ignorance of thinking that the doctor said it. So this must be what's necessary and come to find out, no, this was, I think with my niece, she ended up not having a C-section. She had regular delivery, but she had a doctor who was pretty much being impatient, said that she was taking too long to push the baby out. And so it was one of those situations where in, it was in Georgia actually, but the way their hospital worked, like, so say you have an OB, you, any OB in the hospital may deliver your baby. You don't get to be with just that one. So it was a doctor she had not worked with before. And so he was very impatient. And so she ended up delivering him. Um, but she didn't have the greatest experience. And, you know, it was just like, he immediately, she was like, she felt like, she was like, I literally felt like I tried to push for 20 minutes. And he was like, all right, let's do a C-section. And because she did have a doula, they were able to advocate and she ended up having the baby. Okay. Naturally. So just so many examples, but Callie, what would you speak, say in regards to us being in a crisis right now? Oh, I agree with everyone. We're definitely in a crisis. Um, And then to go back to what um, was being said about, you know, having a baby and going back to the work in the field, that's still being done today. Um, You know, there you have a baby and you people expect you six to eight weeks, you're good. And you can run back and do everything that you were doing before. And it's just not the case. Um, You need time to heal. And people are not taking that time to heal physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, And another part of the crisis is that, you know, I think I'm seeing this, you know, I'm seeing it a lot more. I'm learning a lot more because I'm in this space, but um, people here, you know, we're talking about it, but we're still being, we're still dying at alarming rates. Um, Like it's there, it's in our faces, but nothing is being done about it. Um, And I think it also goes back to the educating and the support and, you know, the advocacy piece of that, um, that you all were speaking about. Love that. Love that. We don't love that. It's a crisis, but I love the message that you just gave. So that takes me to ask this question because, because corporate America does not give a damn in regards to giving you six to eight weeks to go back to work. And I know people that have worked in major corporations, huge corporations and have gotten less than that. So what do you all think corporate America would have to do to get it that we need more time? They're like, women should be given a year off from work pay if they have a child. I don't know if that would ever happen, but even more than the six to eight weeks. Do you all think that's something corporate America would ever get or, we, you know? It's going to be forced. Universal. Yeah. Hold on. I'm sorry, Kelly. I think I spoke over you. You said what? Sorry. Um, I was just saying they're going to have to be forced to do it. Um, it's going to have to become law. Yes. Yeah. It is what it is. Like, I... Um, I'm a nurse and even in the hospital, they were expecting us to come right back to work after having a baby. And I'm a pediatric nurse at that, you know? So it's, I had, so I had one coworker had a baby and major complications with it. And she told me that, you know, every day after the six weeks, she, our manager called her and was like, when are you coming back? Are you coming back? You know, your space may not be here for you if you don't come back. That's a problem. A huge blown called her every day. I just had a whole year. That's what that is. Yeah. There are companies who do offer like extended um extended maternity leave. Like I had a client last year. She works for a pretty large company and her I think it I guess I would call it like the initial maternity leave was like, you know, twelve to sixteen weeks. Mm-hmm. And then she had an additional like three or four months of 
some some other specialized kind of lead. So it's honestly an option in a lot of these companies. It's just that people are used to the standard six to eight weeks that they don't ask for anything else and they don't advocate for anything else. But also companies need to be held responsible too for the fact that a pregnancy doesn't always lead to coming home with a baby. Man. I mean, they, I also had a client who um, had a stillbirth went back to work after a few months and everybody's like oh show us pictures of the baby show us everything she communicated this loss with her with her uh supervisor and the and in fairness the supervisor didn't share it with you know co-workers mm -hmm. but as she returned everybody was expecting you know pictures and oh how's motherhood how are you adjusting and she just was like no i gotta go i gotta leave same thing my friend who the one I experienced recently with the loss one she had to fight her company about the fact that she had delivered stillbirth um she had to fight about getting time off because I believe since she didn't like you said come home with the baby they weren't considering that like maternity leave but it still should be so she had to fight tooth and nail to get her time and then she encountered some of the same thing when she got back she had communicated to her supervisor but other people didn't know and I think maybe like the first week or so she had to take some time to pull back when people were asking her that because you know it's kind of, I guess, a natural thing for people to want to know, like, how are you as a baby? And as a, as a supervisor, I don't want to send out a mass email of, you know, something personal. You know, I think that's something that being in a leadership role, I would allow that person to share that information with the team, you know, but both sides of the coin is still tough that I have to deal with this. And that also companies don't respect it, understanding that, you know, you can give birth and there can be other outcomes that should all still fall under the maternity leave umbrella. So I think it's just so not fair. And Callie's right. It really would have to be law mandated for them to make real changes, I think. So this is something that several. Um, so there's a birth free Tennessee. There's also um, mandates or legislation being discussed around maternity leave, of course, breastfeeding advocacy in Tennessee right now as well. Mm -hmm. There, uh, Mama's Day on the Hill will be a place where some of these things are discussed. We know that there's legislation at, in the White House, uh, like our maternal reports. And then um, Postpartum Sport International, no one's looked, um, looked them up. A great organization who's also, I also got to say, I am affiliated with them. I'm our <laughs> uh, Tennessee chapter uh, uh, co-chair right now for the board. So um, and I saw Erica say she's a part of them too. Yeah. So yeah, there, there are organizations out there working on things like this. And the mm -hmm. reason why I said in the beginning it's a controversial topic is because when we think about the fact we are all women, Black women right now having this conversation, nothing in America was made for us. Mm -hmm. So we are advocating for spaces that were not made for us to now accommodate us. Mm. And we still fighting for them to actually appreciate us because <laughs> right. they they on that tolerating thing and they really be showing they, they true colors yeah. when it comes to that. But the whole system of working with an eight hour workday, you know, some people seven days a week, none of that actually is healthy for us in terms of when we're talking about preconception or interconception because there's a period between after you have a baby and before you have another baby that your body is healing but even when we're talking about maternity leave it doesn't cover those whole 18 months so you still going back to work and mm. going through undue stress and all of that knowing the period your body's actually recovering and when we're talking about stillbirths or miscarriages um those are spots where people are still fighting to be heard like John Legend and his wife, when they shared their story, it was like, we're happy someone's giving voice. And it's like, people have been giving voices before them, but you know, it takes celebrities sometimes for yeah. stories to happen. Yeah. You have organizations like Star Legacy that do constant research on um, stillbirths and research around maybe what is causing that. You have COVID-19 now, and there are a lot of people doing research around what are the birth outcomes for individuals who have COVID or who, who've been exposed. Um, and then- just another layer on top of that that also goes back into corporate America and capitalism. We're already not getting paid. So am I going to advocate to be out of work longer and you're going to tell me that you're not going to pay me and I got to feed this child? Mm. 
or if I have other children at home, who's going to take care of them? Healthcare, childcare is expensive. So it's a lack of access, a lack of resources. And it all shows, once again, not only how you feel about us, but also just this need for like a literal change or revolution within not only the workforce, not only corporate America, but everyone. Because even if you're not in corporate America and you're working for nonprofits or other organizations, it literally depends on the person that created that organization on what their policy looks like. Because even some of those organizations do not have maternity or family leave. And for them, they're like, oh, it's the cost. We can't afford it. Um, and organizations like Resolve um, are creating places to have not only insurance, but to fight for the fact for individuals to be able to have that maternity leave or extended family leave so that not only the birthing person can have time off from work, but their partner as well. Yeah, we definitely need that. And I'm grateful the company that I work for um, they do offer paternity leave as well. It's actually, you know, considering what you hear about other companies, they do have other leave, as Erica was saying, that people don't ask about because they have maternity leave and then they have af after like, a, it's like a post-maternity leave. And then they have other, like, a, it's different paid leaves that are in there. They aren't talked about a lot, but if you go into the HR book and read deep enough, you can find them. And I only know this in being in leadership that people have found them. And so when I get these emails, I'm like, I didn't even know we had that, you know? So it's all about, you know, using the resources that you have, but have, but I think that's great that those organizations and hopefully the listeners, you all can look into those things to know that these are advocates in the fight, but we still have a long way to go. Almost so I want to ask this question now, why is this issue of this crisis that we are facing, I'm doing air quotes, seemingly just getting on the radar of society and the media, because these are not, as the old people say, this ain't nothing new under the sun. This has been going on. But now it seems like, you know, you're seeing documentaries, you're seeing stuff on Instagram, you're seeing companies talk about how we want to be advocates. You know, why is this seemingly just appearing in front of us present day? There's been an awakening in the world. There's a lot of things we choose no longer to be silent about. And we okay. don't care what the, the pushback or the consequences are of that because we realize your consequence of saying you're going to fire me is nothing like the consequence of me dying and not being mm. present for my family or the consequence, for instance, of something happening to me and me being terminally ill or, you know, differently abled moving forward and not able to care for the people in my life. So I think it, we're a generation. And I mean that in terms of everybody that's living on earth right now, not yeah. a specific generation that is like, we're, we're no longer going to be silent because we can't continue to do as things have always been done. And we realize there is power in number. So yeah. if we work together, we can create change. And if that change does not come and our voices are being heard, then it is known that you purposely are not doing that work. Like there's no longer any excuses. Yeah. And then with it, like, you know, COVID and other things that have happened, including, you know, racism, surprise, you know, <laughs> no longer being, you know, something that's like, oh, that doesn't go on anymore. Like oh, no, no. we're noticing medical racism. Um, You have, you know, bias, like there's, and even the fact that, you know, we have this whole uh, discussion or, you know, laws coming out now where we're not supposed to teach, you know, critical race theory. Oh, yeah. All of that still goes into the work and the advocacy that we're doing for birthing, because all of those things still play a crucial role in the not only, once again, us getting pregnant, but also the birthing outcome, not us living, our babies living, you know, what life after you know coming out of the hospital is going to look like and then also what our interactions are going to be like throughout that entire process yeah. it's hard to tuck and tail and going home <laughs> plain and simple i right. mean like now i tell my mom all the time like listen sis yo you had a traumatic birth experience like <laughs> do you not recognize that like we don't have to do it this way we don't have to do it the way that you know our mothers our grandmothers our aunts you know we don't have to do it the way our ancestors did it yeah. so i think now we're fighting differently we're we're more vocal just like she said like it's we're doing stuff different we're breaking these generational curses but more than that it's just we recognize a lot of the biases, as she said, like in in the MIC in the medical industrial complex, that you know we're being we're being mistreated. Like when you walk into you know a hospital room and you're asked, "Oh, is this your first baby?" Why does it matter? Right. I'm here to have a baby. Or I've seen where 
they they ask, you know, a father, oh, is this your first child too? Why does it matter? Right. <laughs> like, or first or 10th. Yeah. Or are you implying that you're the other baby mama? Let me know. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, I think it's just that we're we're tired of we're tired of sucking tail and going home. We're tired of just saying, oh, well, such and such is right. Well, they know best. We're educating ourselves. We you know we're getting the, the information. We we're able to advocate for ourselves differently than you know prior generations. So we just tired of sucking tail and going home. Deep sigh. Callie, what would you say? <laughs> exactly? I mean all of that, <laughs> you know, we're, we're demanding our voices being heard nowadays, you know, with the internet and social media, everybody has a platform. Um, everybody can let their story be heard. Um, when we start seeing all these stories, we start realizing that it's more common than we want to believe, you know, um, COVID has also given us an awakening that, you know, we don't have to work for these companies anymore that don't respect us. Right. We don't have to follow all of their rules um and leave me for example after I had my first daughter in 2020 I didn't go back to work I didn't go back on the floor um I stayed home I'm still home I um I didn't want to go back you know in eight weeks and have my baby go to daycare and not be in control of what was going on around her or what was happening with me because you know, during COVID, I'm not, you know, when I first left nursing, I wasn't a floor nurse, but they told us we would be back on the floor because of COVID. And that just didn't sit right with me. We didn't know what was going on with that. And so I made the tough decision to, you know, stay home with my children. So we're realizing that we have these options now um, and that we can advocate for ourselves. What helped you with making that decision to know, like, it was the right thing to do and that you were comfortable enough to do it? Because I know that can be scary for people that want to do it, maybe able to do it, but just, you know, are like, I'm, I don't know if this is the right thing. Because traditionally, you know, eight weeks, we find a daycare, we find big mama, we find somebody and we drop the baby off. So what made you, you know, take that leap of faith to say, I'm going to stay home for sure? Oh, man, <laughs> that's a tough choice. You know, it's still a choice that I sometimes struggle with, you know, I'm used to being at work. I'm used to following corporate America's, um, you know, rules and regulations. So what really helped me make that decision was my husband. Um, he said, no, we're going to do this. We're going to figure it out. And you're going to be home. Um, that's the safest place for you. It's the safest place for our children. This is what's the decision for our family. So I would say um, a support system is definitely what is needed, you know, when I had the our first baby, we had two. We had one in 2020, one in 2021. Um, so when we had the first baby, you know, you know, we didn't know what was going on with COVID. So we pretty much did everything alone. You know, we didn't have family here. It was just the two of us and our baby, and we figured it out. And we made it work. Um, but now you, you know, you got to kind of build a support system. And I, I have realized that you know, doing everything on my own wasn't. It's tough, you know, but the support is definitely what's needed in order to make a decision like that. Absolutely. You need to know that you're not alone. You have to have that support, that whole, you know, I still believe it takes a village to raise a child and you need yeah. that community. And it's so important. And I see that even more so as women, I know my age that are having children, you have to have, because and you have to have it because many of them are going back to work. So someone mm -hmm. else, you know, it may be, and I have a, my best friend is a nurse. And so she had to go back to work after having a child. And she's been blessed with a village where she has her mom helping her. She has a babysitter. She has friends. She has brothers. She has all these people locally around her who are able to be hands-on. Whereas if she didn't have that, it would be like, you know, what am I going to do? I have to go to work. I have to pay these bills. So in some cases for people that do have to go back, that's the community is so important. But even if you are staying at home, that the community is important as well. But that's a blessing that you were able to make that decision and oh, have that support, you know, from your family and stuff, you know, that's, and I wrestle with that personally. I think about, I'm this working woman, but I'm like, you know, you have a kid and then you're like, mm, do I really want to be this dedicated to work? Right, right. This, these 12 and 14 hour days, like my life consists a lot of my work because I don't have something else pulling from it. So it's like, well, do I still want to keep that same energy? And I found that working women more times than not, they, you, you think you want to keep that same energy until the baby gets here. 
exactly exactly it's like no I'm really not okay with seeing my child for like four hours at night right before bed you know so it's like that balance of it if I could be in that space to have that support and understand it is an adjustment to go from you know the the corporate grind but now you're just in the the mommy grind you know (laughs) it's definitely a tough decision either way yeah need support either way definitely absolutely so I want to get into, I'm going to read some facts that I, the listeners may not know that were mind blowing to me. Um, and then we are going to dive in and kind of address some of these statements so people can get a real understanding. And I'm excited just to talk about this information because just as I was researching for this episode, I'm like, this, this what's really going on out here, you know, yeah. in these streets. So Deep spiritual it is. So in the U.S., the CDC reported that black women experience maternal mortality at a rate two to three times higher than that of white women. And that, that was the most mind-blowing fact. So I had to put that out there first, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper. So for people that may not be aware, maternal death is described as the death of a woman either during pregnancy or within 42 days of the end of pregnancy. This death can be due to how the pregnancy was handled or the pregnancy itself, but it is not associated with unintentional or secondary causes. Between 1897 and 2016, the maternal mortality rates in the U.S., more than doubled while the maternal mortality rates around the world had seen an overall decrease. So I'm gonna stop right there for the hard pin in it. We are supposed to be the most advanced, allegedly, country when it comes to everything. We go into the moon, we go into space, but we dying in delivery rooms. So somebody make it make sense to me. What is happening? Our healthcare system is not necessarily improving. Um, black people still don't have access. Okay. I'm going to keep screaming that for y'all. Okay. We screaming it in the mental health field. We screaming it in public health. We screaming it in healthcare everywhere. We as a people do not have access. Like, yes, we are learning more for ourselves, but we even fighting for the knowledge because, okay. you know, there, there's still disparities even in that. Um, so let's go. So I'm going to go in a flow access to healthcare. Yes. What does that mean? Because in my mind, I think that, you know, if you, say work in corporate America. Everybody has insurance. This is air quotes. Um, I know all insurance is not made the same, but when it says access to healthcare, what what does that exactly mean to someone who may not get it? So if I were to stick with your example, you got access to healthcare, but can you afford to take off work to utilize it? Because access is not just saying I have this, but mm. it's actually being able to use it as well. Okay. So that's one angle, being able to so, take off work, the, the paid time off if you don't have that. So let's say you are somebody who don't work for corporate America and you don't even have insurance. How are you going, like, what are you using to be able to go into a hospital? Or better yet, when are you determining when to go to a hospital? Because you know that you don't have health care and they mm. may not even see you and they may turn you around at the door. Oh, go, go that's a real thing. That's, that's you can really thing. get turned around at a hospital. Yeah. ERs. Yeah. I thought that was like on TV. Like, seriously. Nah, there's, there's a little bit of truth in everything. Yeah. So people. So that makes sense right there in regards to like, if I don't have insurance, I'm definitely going to be hesitant to even go to the hospital. And so at that point, people have to make a decision and they go and they find out. And then at that point after, so are those people that can sign up for Medicare or is it Medicaid? Like, how does that work? If you don't have insurance, you go, you find out you're pregnant. Are you still on your own to kind of go to these doctor visits and try to find the money to pay for them? And what does that look like if you don't have insurance these days and you have a child? I'm going to toss that one to Eric. (laughs) Yeah, they sign you up for like Medicaid, Medicare, right. that kind of thing. But even still, um, <laughs> there's still the the access piece of it. You're not getting still the best care because, mm-hmm. oh, this is a Medicaid patient. Yeah. The quality. Quality of care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And not even just not having access to insurance. I have insurance. Isn't it, you have insurance, just like she said, if, you know, do I have time? Am I able to go in and utilize this? Because you know, like she said, all, all insurance is not created equal. It's not all, it doesn't all work the same. So yes, you have person A over here who can go in and walk out with, you know, a $25 bill. Yeah. But then person B over here is walking out here with a $25,000 bill. So there's, I mean, there's so much that goes into this access piece that, you know, you walk in, well, are you paying out of pocket? Are you paying with insurance? What kind of insurance do you have? I know in Georgia, 
there's a whole hospital system that stopped taking two specific companies' insurance. You know how many patients that left displaced? So now they have to figure out where they have to go to another, you know, provider, another whole hospital system. And then as, as it relates to, you know, maternal health, you might be going to a totally trash hospital system in the state of Georgia. So something else that I'm pretty sure that Callie and Erica can speak to too is when you're talking about access, what am I getting access to as well? Because yeah. there's still recently published data that shows that when medical students are being taught in med school, they're still under the impression that Black people are made differently. We have hold on, hired- hold on. made differently yeah like we can we can endure more pain we don't get offered the same we do not get offered the same pain management as our counterparts Mm -hmm. so those up to 45 or 42 days they're talking about that we're dying after childbirth we're dying due to birthing complications or things related to birth because we're not getting the same care we may not get the same pain meds preeclampsia we're talking about we're having headaches and our blood pressure is literally like skyrocketing or dropping and they're like oh you'll be okay just give it a few minutes but them few minutes may be all it takes for me to clock out of here yeah mm-hmm. mighty god because black people are resilient and we're resilient out of necessity but that doesn't mean that we don't feel pain so it doesn't mean that you know we don't you know experience things it's just because we don't we don't get to feel in front of our counterparts Resilient is sounding like we out here being strong women, ain't it, Erica? Like, oh, Ooh. keep that R word. <laughs> keep the R and the S word. Them two letters of the alphabet. Go ahead, just hold on to Goodness. it. Goodness. <laughs> so this leads me right to ask this question. The next thing would be for, um, this came up about socioeconomic status. So, well, actually, let me read this, uh, this next piece of information. It says, there has been more notice of these statistics recently as more emphasis is being placed on minimizing these racial ethnic disparities seen in maternal mortality. Researchers have identified several reasons for the Black-white maternal mortality disparity in the U.S., including historical context, access to healthcare, socioeconomic status, incidents of pre-existing conditions, medical racism, and abortion access, all of which are social determinants of health in the United States. So I said a whole lot there, but I want to go back to the socioeconomic status. That looks like what? Just being poor in America? Pretty much it. What <laughs> <laughs> Poor matter. <laughs> what you want to say? One <laughs> race has a lot to do with the things that was just in that paragraph, and we are teaching people race is not a social determinant of health. Race is something that is it's it's a construct. It's, it does not belong in those categories, but your race or your your demographic also is contributing into your socioeconomic status. Then we're going into studies or books like, you know, redlining. Historically, because we are Black people, we have, yeah. we, are, we grow up in literally poor built environments. Mm-hmm. Um, y'all, if we may need to do a glossary after this. Okay. I know that the, the four of us are like, we know what's happening. But just, just to give just, it to the, but that's why case. I'm going over it in this way because people don't know and I want them to understand that. So with that, and yeah, redlining is real. Redlining happens in more Even, than just a housing market. And your that historical context, that historical piece has a lot to do with. I talked about epigenetics, weathering of black women's bodies. No matter our socioeconomic status, our education, all the things that they line there, we're gonna have, or we are at a three to four times like this. I don't know if you want to say disadvantage or like um. We, we just have that uh, higher chance of having poorer outcomes because of the fact weathering is literally talking about how for a lot of our counterparts, it's seen that the older they are, the more education they have, the better their birthing outcomes are. Our bodies, for some reason, it's like they're aging quicker. And this is not saying we should have, you know, more teenage pregnancies. Let me throw that disclaimer out there. But we learn in our courses um, and as we're going through certain classes, whether you're doing doula training, you know, public health or um, even even in my mental health courses. So uh, we talked about slavery. As you're going on, we talked about the epigenetics, your body taking on that trauma, microaggression, all that happens to us throughout our lifetime. The older we get, the more trauma we actually take on. This resiliency piece, yeah, I'm being resilient, but what is my body holding on to so that I don't react to you? 
every time I say, I'm gonna turn the cheek and let Jesus handle it, my body still <laughs> took a hit. So I'm still taking on all that and all that is impacting my ability to for my body to function the way it's supposed to function so weathering is literally talking about the fact the longer i live the more trauma my body carries or is taking on all that is impacting my ability to birth so that paragraph is right it's just where it may be trying to direct our attention is wrong because all of that still goes into the historical context because of how african americans were treated in the past and are still treated our outcomes are poor in those situations even when you think about our education the most, we can say the richest black person in America, whoever that may be, if they were in a hospital giving birth, it doesn't matter that money or any any of their like influence at that point. And Beyonce and Serena Williams. I'll say, are, I was just about to say that. I mean, we're talking about Beyonce and Serena Williams. It's just it, as if me and you were in the room yeah. inside the healthcare system see them. So and that like, was okay. wild to me. And that, that was scary because I'm like, if Beyonce, you you helping deliver Beyonce's babies and you giving her a hard time about some pain or something like that, that really was like super eye-opening It's one of the most vulnerable times of your life. Yeah. And I'm sitting here and I got to try to make you believe that I'm in pain or that I need something or something isn't right. Like it's, it's insanity to me. So with that said, with the socioeconomic status, is there something, anything to be done or said about that? Is it just to say like, okay, if you don't have a lot of money, then don't have a baby. Even though if you have a lot of money, you can still have a baby and have a bad experience. But how, is, is there a fix to that? You know, for them to say that plays a role or what exactly, what role? So to explain it, is it going back to what I said originally? Is it just saying like, if you're poor in America and you have a baby, it's going to give a chance that it's going to be a chance that it's not going to be a good experience. Is that what they're telling us pretty much? No, I want, I mean, I want to make it clear that that doesn't matter. Okay. Um, socioeconomic status doesn't matter. Um, the doctors who are treating, you know, us regular people and Beyonce, they're all being you know, taught the same thing. Okay. Um, so, but I'll use myself, for example, um, with my first pregnancy, you know, I wasn't really, this is prior to me getting in really into the birth space. And like I am now, I didn't know I started bleed. I found I was pregnant and maybe a week or so later, I started bleeding and I went to the hospital because I was scared, of course. And I sat in the ER for hours and hours, my husband and I together hours nobody came you know we weren't being seen we finally did get to be seen basically came in told us oh you're gonna have a miscarriage have a nice night send us home 1 a.m and that was it what doctor came in five minutes sent the nurse back to tell us yeah it's just it's just gonna happen my my baby my daughter is knocking on the door right now waving at me 18 months happy running around <laughs> my mind is blown like you're going to have a miscarriage, go home to do it. But my friend that ended up losing her child, she had to really fight to stay at the hospital. They told her that, that she was going because the fluid or something happened. Um, she didn't have enough fluid in there. So she was going to lose her baby. And they basically said, well, you can just go home until you start the birthing, I guess, until the delivery starts and, and, and come back and see us, I guess, when it's done. And it's like, well, what if I go home and I, I bleed to death or something, complication happens. Like, you just want me to go home and wait right. to see what happens. And so she had to really fight tooth and nail. And the doctor had to like manipulate something for them to let her stay in the hospital another night. And so, you know, fortunately she was able to deliver her son the next day while she was still there. But it was a huge fight. And like my, one of our friends who was a medical professional was telling her like what to say, what language to use um, in order for them to really listen to her. But why, I'm like, why is this okay that even doctors, you know, they took an oath to perform and behave in a certain way to say something like that to you. And, you know, you're gonna have a miscarriage, have a good night, come back and see us if you need us. What? <laughs> like, it's not McDonald's. Like, because uh... the training says the training only teaches you how to handle a product. Mm. And that's the baby, not the mm -hmm. birth and the baby. Yep. That's it. Even even with like postpartum care of those who do, you know, miscarry or have stillbirths, it's like, okay, well, I don't really know what to do for you because you don't have a product. Mm. So the person, I, I don't really know what to do with the person because that takes mm -hmm. emotion. Basically, it's, I think the, uh, that's a whole other different <laughs> thing, <laughs> but it's that the care of patients is a, is a you thing. Mm -hmm. nobody can teach you empathy or sympathy nobody can teach you any of those things so I mean as somebody who's gone through medical school it's like so what do you I would ask questions so what do we do if x y and z happens yeah 
well, you know, we don't, we tend not to focus on the negative. Well, the negative is here. <laughs> this is the reality. Right, the reality yeah. is here. It is happening. Yeah. Not we choose not to focus on the negative, you know. <laughs> but I, I get you, like, what you saying that they focus on the product and not teaching. As a person, that is a you thing. Like some people just aren't empathetic. Some people just aren't under, like caring in that way. Like they want to, you know, save a life as a doctor. But outside of that, if you don't make it, you know. And to some degree, you get it, you know, in certain fields that you have to unattach yourself. You can't be attached to every death, but just the delivery of that information is wow to me. And this brings me to ask this question, since you all are in the doula and birthing area and field, what would be the importance um, of, I guess, having a doula or support in moments like that of knowing, you know, after I lose a child? And is that something you would recommend? Is it, do people ever get doulas like after they give birth or go through something like this? Yes. So oh, postpartum doula. Yes. Okay. And I'm a bereavement doula as well. Yes. What What's the other one? Bereavement, bereavement doula. Okay. Okay. And then I'm a full spectrum doula. So I'm literally from fertility to postpartum, even if I am walking with someone along in their final days uh, and then advocacy and everything in between. Um, and it just being a full spectrum doula made sense to me because okay. of all the areas that I am in when it comes to birthing, especially, you know, the mental health piece and seeing firsthand from families, their impacts. And of course, making sure you're taking courses. So I'm currently with PSI for like the third time, because every time I take it, there's always extra information. Um, NECA Hall does a really great job of that, taking her um, pill course, which is pregnancy and infant loss um, advocacy. And so in that, we're literally talking about and the number of women who are sharing their stories on loss and having stories like Callie, it's it's disheartening, but also motivation to know that it's needed. Like mm-hmm. people who do this work are needed. But the, like that happens. Individuals are being told either their babies are going to have some type of genetic, you know, malformality. They're being told that, hey, if you get pregnant, there's a likelihood you'll never carry the term. Um, and for those of you who so does that come from like testing like they do certain tests to find that out or, or is it like by the time they are pregnant they're finding this out so both okay so both um and i was gonna say for those those of you who are triggered y'all know y'all can pause the podcast and come back and, and listen when you need to make Thank sure you, you have some, tea and some water um but yeah th- th- that's exactly it they do test but once again for so many individuals because you are black when you walk into certain settings they're like hey we just need you to go ahead and know this even hold on like get, like get telling you that what you just said without any testing no like so you know you give your family history okay so, so i think something in one of those you're talking about was talking about uh being predisposed to certain things pre-existing conditions pre-existing conditions diabetes are you going to have gestational diabetes what is that going to look like for you is that going to put you into preterm labor um preeclampsia have other people in your family had that there's a book that I love to recommend my clients and it's called Black, Pregnant and Loving It. And it's literally written for individuals who are Black who are pregnant to understand how pregnancy for us looks. Um, and it's not saying we're different. It's to say, if you are feeling these symptoms, here's some language to help you be able to advocate with your doctor. This is what is happening so that you have the language to give them that they understand, which is bad because it's like I'm teaching you not a playbook of how to understand your doctor versus your doctor <laughs> getting a playbook to understand you. So I know that was a lot, but I hope you guys are being educated and elevated as we take on this mission to end the crisis of Black maternal health in America. And the work starts with conversations like these. So be sure to tune back in later this week for part two of this conversation. And thank you so much for listening. Signing off, yours truly, Shanna Montana.